1: free way to get started this got a content creation tool allows you to record it at the podcast right from a phone that's right don't even need a computer but you can do it there too they'll also help you distribute it which is probably the most challenging part you don't want to have to mess with that they got you covered you can get it right on a spotify and apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found and you know what you can monetize it too make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what, head over to your app store, download the anchor app or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen.
0: Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. That's right, Chelsea fans. We are back, as always, with another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Joining myself are Nick and Dan as always. Uh, gentlemen, it was, uh, it was a rough day, but I'm super pumped to hear Nick. You we were hanging out with my buddies from the Twin Cities Blues today to watch the
2: match. How about that? Correct. Yeah, it was, it was great to see Tarot and, and the gang, Richard as well, who, who's a character. Uh, so yeah, just big shout out to those guys who came and invaded the Dubliner and KC, and uh, yeah, we we had a great day out and and always better to beat Rafa. Not only did we have some
0: uh, Chelsea and America groups hanging out over there, but Dan, you went and visited our friends out on the West Coast, didn't you? Yeah, out uh, in the future
1: home of the Dormer family in San Francisco and had a chance to go down to Mad Dog in the Fog where the San Francisco Blues meet up had a chance to meet a couple of them and it was a, it was a really great time, accented by a excellent win. So, great day, great day out.
0: Yeah, by excellent you mean a win. So we'll we'll take that. We'll run with it. Um, all day. Seriously, I, I let's let's put off the the demise a little bit later and bring in our guest in case you missed it. Alex Goldberg jumping back on the pod, join us again, Alex. Welcome back, man.
3: Oh, I appreciate it, Brandon. Nick, Dan, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Are you getting
2: choked up at being on the show again? Yeah, did,
3: you, did you hear that? Um, oh, so it's man. Funny. It's, it's funny. People uh, sometimes talk about my voice. However, they don't know that I'm really a 12-year-old going through puberty. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's the real story. I can't even form full sentences. Wow.
1: Well, I, I just figured that you know you only have about 120 seconds left on the show, so yep. we just really need to get to the <laughs> hottest take that you have available, and uh, then we'll have to say goodbye and end the episode. So, yeah, let's burn it. Let's burn it to the ground quickly,
3: okay? Come on. It's, it's really unfortunate my voice cracked in those 120 seconds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we get into the full meat of the episode, Dan, I don't know if we have enough time for you to get through all these iTunes reviews, but nonetheless, a huge shout out to all of these cool. people yeah 13 this week
1: lucky number un uh, 34 B Farwell 93 Big Nash 88 BBB Roos uh, Cobham Blues G Town 31 Gold Dome 13 Jack Percival 5 Jim I Schw- LP Rocks multiple S's m Drazik, h and zachris so that was 13 wonderful people who had the chance to leave us a review and they also gave us some lightning round questions nicholas so i'm gonna we're gonna bash through these real quick so uh Quetta rudiger swap yes no all right brandon tammy abraham to aston villa on loan sure um uh, I don't know. I shouldn't tee up Alex with one here, but it's keep or sell Luis. Um <laughs> uh, keep. Keep. Um Brandon, sell or loan Ross Barkley now that he now or when he's worth fifteen million less. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> and then uh Nick, if you could bring any Chelsea legend into the current squad, who would they be and why? God. But- for goals yeah there we go answers done leave a five-star review on apple podcasts get a shout out at the beginning of the episode and
0: thank you for the lightning round questions awesome and a huge shout out to matey and amber on patreon you two are fantastic really looking forward to connecting with you guys over there on patreon answering your questions on the next episode and a huge happy birthday to mark also one of our patreon members yeah Obviously just want to give you a special shout out for all that you've done for us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. Last thing before we get into the episode, Nick is one that is worth
2: waiting to hear about. Correct. So if you did not, um, just look at your, um, wherever you get your podcasts on Friday, we have a interview with Cesar Espilicueta, um, that we were able to do on Thursday morning, uh, in, in us time. And we, I think it's really worth the, uh, the listen. So about 15 minutes or so, we talked to him about uh, not only his 200th appearance in the Premier League at Chelsea, which happened today uh, against Newcastle, but we talked to him about trophies, uh, youth players that have impressed him, and even, Dan, whether my assist Piloqueta nickname uh, would get a thumbs up or thumbs down. Spoiler alert, he loves me. Thumbs up in your face. <laughs>
1: So, the best thing that you could do right now, <laughs> other than just to bask in the scent, the stench of <laughs> Nick's happiness, is to go listen to the episode, which is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, it, basically anything that carries a podcast to a feed. You can find it there.
0: And a huge shout out to the club for helping us make that happen. Yes. Pumped to be a part of that, uh, the lead up to his 200th Premier League review. appearance so now it is he's just the best he's just the best right like he tough to get better than him it's true no we we can now say that from personal experience but anyways time for the match review it was Newcastle United in the Premier League at St. James's Park on this past Sunday August 26th the scoreline blues two magpies one no correct score predictions from anybody in the world so let's just move on to the lineups and stats oh
2: wait wait really really quick were there were there correct score predictions or no now we're moving on but what if one of the person people on the show actually had one i don't, I don't know who that would be though okay so nick <laughs>
0: there's a saying out there that even a blind squirrel can find a nut and yet here we are a 2-1 prediction from nick nailed it uh the oh, only oh. reason i'm stopping oh, though oh. is to also give credit to ugo on facebook for nailing it as well you two gentlemen go celebrate this week with the scratch ticket U- Ugo's the man i will i will defer to him Love it. All right. If you're missing out on our score predictions, get on our Facebook group. Jay Heel posts it every week like the man he is. But Dan, run us through the lineups for this match heading into Newcastle. Yeah, we saw Kepa in goal.
1: No surprise there. Rudiger, Marcus Alonso, Azpilicueta wearing the captain's band for his 200th Premier League start for Chelsea. Dava Luiz, Jorginho, Conte, Kovacic getting in ahead of Barkley to start the match. Hazard getting his first start for the Premier League season. Pedro and Murata. We saw a substitute bench filled with Willie Caballero, Davide Zappacosta, Andreas Christensen, Ross Barkley, who did make a substitute appearance, Ruben Loftus Sheik, Olivier Drew, and William trophy emoji man so that was our lineup and you know i think there was a quick question from seb saying is it our best one the one that we'll see throughout the season i think we'll have some comments
0: about that as we head further into the episode but uh you know there were some nice match stats too brandon it's true. We've actually had quite a few questions asking about the January transfer window already this season, and I've honestly <laughs> refused to put them in the script. I just don't have time for yep. that right now. It's August, people. I just can't look that far forward. Um, Agree. Match stats. Anyways, I think the just the, the two big ones are the, the fact that Chelsea had 81% possession, which is Jesus. crazy, had 1,098 touches and over 900 passes. And you know, Alex will probably get into this a little bit more, but this is starting, I think it was a perfect storm, right? Like Chelsea aren't probably going to do this against an Everton or I don't know who else is, is knocking around that level. It's because Newcastle sat so far back. That maybe we we're seeing from a statistics uh, standpoint, sorry ball in quotation marks.
3: Yeah. To the fullest. I mean, as you said, Newcastle were, asking for it to be that great in possession for Chelsea. Now, Sarri, nonetheless, is a possession-based manager. He's always going to try to have the majority of the possession. I think the only teams we will undoubtedly see more balance against is maybe a Liverpool, maybe a Manchester City. But beyond that, Chelsea should always have possession. But with that said, 81%, that is ridiculous. That is Barcelona in their heyday. That is their tiki-taka Prime right there. And honestly, maybe even more so. eighty one percent is ridiculous. You know, Rafa Benitez going into this match, it was pretty well known. He was trying for a one nil victory, whether that was realistic or not. But I gotta say, as a Chelsea fan, as a Chelsea spectator for a long time now, and you guys as well, how weird is it seeing Chelsea have that much possession? It's just it's strange. It's to the point where, we are used to someone like Eden Azard being on the ball a lot, but he's more on the ball a lot because he's just that damn good and the ball needs to be facilitated towards him. I think for today, for the for honestly once in a long, long time, we saw him on the ball because it was the team's style, not because he was the best player on the pitch. And honestly, that is just weird. So this is why I said a couple days ago on Twitter, there's a lot of excitement right now for Chelsea fans And I don't mean... I'm not demeaning the FA Cup trophy last year. And I'm not demeaning the Premier League trophy from two years ago. The excitement I'm referencing is the fact that us as Chelsea fans know week in, week out, we are going to be on the forefront. We are going to be on the front foot forcing possession. And that is just strange as a Chelsea fan.
2: Can I quickly say, I I think when you look at this match, and even if you watch it on replay, we, we, the team, took... uh, the game to Newcastle and played in their half for the entire 90 minutes. It was dominant. And I think what I was most impressed by today, Dan, is that even when, you know, they were playing, and the NBC commentators mentioned this multiple times, when Newcastle had 10 behind the ball, when, when Rondon finally just got tired of playing up top by himself and dropped back, there there was a certain uh, level of patience of the play there was a, a level of patience where the ball was moving around they weren't giving it up or getting frustrated by the 10 behind the ball they were they were knocking around the triangle started to form a little bit and I think this just was a it was a slap in the face to Benita's approach to the game and I am so excited that the team is starting to show that like trademark patience because it's exhausting for the opposite um, team to, to play against well, that's why Jorginho showed
1: how valuable he is to sorry what we're trying to do today because, and I did see some comments asking, you know, why was he passing so much side to side? Why was he always moving the ball forward? And And there's not, a focus on always moving the ball forward for the sake of moving the ball forward in this system. It's about recycling the ball enough so that we can eventually overload on a side or overload in an area of the pitch so that we will have an advantage, attackers to defenders, and can exploit it to then go forward and score a goal. So you know, he played an exceptional game to continue to give us those opportunities in what became yeah, you know, St. James Park at a certain point was Fort Knox and almost became this, you know, impenetrable fortress and made it extremely, extremely difficult to get a goal today. But uh Brandon, I know we
0: we, we got one or two, right? It's true. We did. Uh you know, no sense in reliving more than we have to in this match. So we're just gonna fast forward to the seventy six minute Uh, Hazard and Alonso combining on the left before uh, Alonso drew the penalty, which uh, was buried by Eden himself. And this now is Eden's 70th Premier League goal, which moves him past Hasselbank into third place all time at Chelsea. Uh, And for a guy who doesn't score that many goals, that's a pretty good record. That's a pretty good place to be, I'd say. Um, Obviously some controversy on whether or not it was a penalty, Um, We can get into the whole refereeing thing later, but the facts are facts, and it was a goal for Chelsea. Uh, Well, I mean, Brandon, you know,
1: I feel like Alonso got kicked in the dick, um, and I feel like any time that happens, you you should get a penalty, especially if it's in the box being taken down that way. So, you know, I think Alonso uh, put the manhood on, uh, you know, on the line today for Chelsea,
0: and uh, that was rewarded. Newcastle had a lot of reckless tackles, and this was just another one of them that finally got caught um 83rd minute though Nick Yedlin and uh I was kind of talking about that. DeAndre Yedlin he's a U.S. men's national team player so obviously most of us always like to see him do well uh not his best day today but he set up the equalizer for Newcastle
2: he did um he, he did so by elbowing Olivier Giroud in the face it not getting called and then the entire Chelsea team shutting off their brains uh, collectively so that a bullet header from Joselu um, could uh, could kind of be put in the upper 90, giving Kepa almost no no way to do anything about it. I mean, it was... It, first of all, it was, it was fucking shameful. The, the entire refereeing performance today, fucking shameful. It has to be said. And I'm trying to limit my swearing on this show over the years, but it was just terrible. The, there were so many calls that could have gone our way. There could have been multiple red cards in this game. It was a ridiculous refereeing performance. And uh, I, I just, I have to say that because it set the tone for the entire match. Um, and and this elbow, elbow by Yedlin was intentional. No one's elbow moves up that far without there being an intent to do something with it. And it should have been a foul. Probably should have been a yellow card going the other way. And Newcastle capitalizes it. You know, it just... I was so I was furious. This had like Battle of the Bridge, you know, Tottenham from a couple years back, uh, shades in this game, and I, I'm just beyond beyond upset about the the lack of protection or any sort of uh, disciplinary action from the referee in this game for Newcastle.
0: I mean, we can just rip the Band-Aid off now. We don't have to wait till later. Uh, so I'm happy to open up any referee discussion at this point, Alex. I don't know if you thought it was funny or if you're fired up. Um, But any thoughts on the referee today?
3: Listen, I I am numb, guys. I am numb (laughs) to dumb refereeing at this point. And, and Nick, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. However, I coached middle school basketball for a long time, and, yes, that's a weird part of my life to admit to. However, I was constantly, constantly telling my players – The referees are going to suck. The referees are going to suck. You continue to play. You need to come into this game expecting they will get four or five calls wrong. Now, your counter to me right now may be, well, this is not middle school basketball. This is the Premier League. This is the top of the top. You should have great referees. Well, Nick, we know the referees are always going to be subpar. They always are going to be. We know a good refereeing decision when we don't talk about it. A good refereeing performance is when we don't talk about a referee after the game. So with that said, I'd like to spend less time harping on the referees. And I admit, Nick, it was a bad decision or lack thereof on the referees' part. I would rather talk about how we let up that goal and how the fact that David Luiz was just standing there. Now, if someone wants to counter and say he was standing there because the referee should have called the foul, I call bullshit. I call bullshit you were taught always to play through the whistle. And I don't buy it anyway. He would have been standing there regardless. So, yes, Nick, it was a bad refereeing decision, absolutely. But when they go back to the drawing board, when Chelsea and Maurizio sorry, go back to the drawing board, David Luiz is at fault. The referee is not.
2: Well, it's not only David Luiz. Watch the replay. Everybody stops. Uh, sure. No, no, no one's playing. And I know that's his man, so like, I, I understand where your frustration's being channeled. But, I mean, it, it's not it, – it's it's – first of all, it's a head injury, okay? The play is supposed to stop for a head injury regardless. Not even if there's a foul call. There's supposed to be an immediate stoppage. Second of all, when, when your entire – like, I don't know. I, I think it's a – you're not wrong in the way that you said that, right? Like, you need to play through the whistle. But I think it's just the culmination of, like, 30 missed calls throughout the game – and there's a I think there's a, a really classic clip of Dave hands in the air, just bereft of, of an any explanation from the referee during this match of why Eden Hazard gets fouled fifteen times without a call. I just it blow it blew my mind that a head injury uh, d- didn't stop the play at all. And I could I, I don't know, my my human reaction, and I'm not a professional footballer for obvious reasons, um my human reaction gives a little bit of slack, a little bit, to, to you know, like, hey, our dude's down. Like, is no one going to do anything about this? Like, that's where my brain goes, Brandon. Well, Nick, and I think the the other
1: thing here is this shouldn't have come in as a surprise, given the fact that the quality of officiating during the match was extremely subpar, and you know, we've seen teams who are less capable or the talent tier is lower, use tactical fouling as a way to limit the effectiveness of some of our players, i.e. and Hazard. And it is in the stipulation of the game that persistent fouling is a cautionable offense. You can go look it up in the FA's rules. And the protection of the players. If you want a great product, I mean, they, you know, sometimes the the NFL has sort of figured this out, right? They realized that the quarterbacks were the stars of the show and they have over the years found ways to protect that position and to ensure that the quality of the game and experience is upheld outside of other things. There's a lot of other things we could talk about there, but the premier league needs to understand that they have these talented players. And if they don't officiate them appropriately, you know, Eden Hazard doesn't get fouled because you know he's an average player. He gets fouled because he is really, really difficult to play against. And when six or seven Newcastle players are coming into him, and then one of them is making out, taking the opportunity to throw the odd leg out. You know, there needs to be a card early in the match to say, "Hey, you know what? This isn't going to stand. We're not going to allow this to happen." And we are going to want you to play football for 90 minutes and not play a rugby match or not play MMA or not play UFC. You know, this is supposed to be football. It's not supposed to be anything else other than that. And I think that should conclude our conversation. And we can talk about Chelsea winning, which is great.
0: All right. Well, I guess we can do that. I promise we will circle back to the defensive uh, discussion A little bit later in the script, so do not worry. But if we were to progress into the 87th minute, in case you forgot, we are talking about goals. Uh, Yedlin, who clearly felt bad about his earlier antics, redirected Alonzo's shot right into the side netting at his own goal at the far post. You know what? Just really appreciate the stand up and the ethical performance by DeAndre Yedlin on that. Uh, Even even at Meringue Joey getting in saying, I like that if we do go down 2-1 or 1-1, we have another goal in us. Last year under Conte, if we went down a goal, I didn't see another goal coming from us. And I completely agree with you, mainly because I made that exact same point last week, because it's true. Goals make Chelsea fans happy, and we didn't have a lot of them last season. All right, wrapped up the goals. Let's jump in to some of the deeper questions. Uh, My first one is actually a rant about why Newcastle are so bad. I mean, honestly, I know Shelby and Lascelles weren't both missing, but is Rafa Benitez telling the world that his team are so bad that they couldn't be bothered to leave their own defensive half or maybe even look to make more than two passes together until the 80th minute? I mean, I get it's a survival game in the Premier League, but holy smokes, that was unbearable to watch, Nick. I mean, could you imagine how hard that would be to play against? (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, so this is kind of a double-edged sword because I feel like Chelsea has, um, in, in the past, uh, gone into a bit of a defensive shell. So without um, without without addressing the other side of this, I think it it was extremely poor. I mean, for Chelsea to have eighty-one percent possess, uh, possession away from home in the Premier League with Premier League quality talent against a team that's not newly promoted. I mean it it just shows you that even in a in a cash rich league with T V contracts all over the place that, that give clubs the ability to buy talent. Some clubs are just better at buying talent than others. Some clubs have owners who are committed to the club. You know, I can't say that about Newcastle. Um, and it was, I don't know, I think for Rafa, it was a survival, just a survival instinct to to shut down shop and try and make it as hard as they could. I mean, N- Newcastle got their one goal off of a fluke opportunity, and I think that was all he was banking on. And, you know, to be fair to him, Chelsea haven't historically, you know, in the last 10 years or so since Ancelotti was here, that like they haven't been able to break down a really – defensive shell like that very frequently so i mean you saw this team get really frustrated playing against that last year even so i think there's a lot of factors in play but it was it was incredibly poor alex to see uh such a dominant um performance against a team that just didn't seem like they wanted to play
3: yeah nick especially at home especially at home This early in the season, when you don't necessarily know what the table really looks like, you're not fighting for promotion or against relegation or to win the title. You're in your third game of the season. So to play that way at home, it is shameful. It is pretty pathetic. You can say, oh, we didn't have one of our better players in Kennedy. Okay, we all love Kennedy here at Chelsea, but he is not that great in terms of you don't tuck your tail in between your legs and not play football. And guess what? Us as Chelsea fans, we know what it looks like to not play football. We did it plenty of times last year, but honestly, in the third game of the season at home, that's about as bad as it gets. And I understand Maurizio Sari is very well known as a possession-based manager, but that's all you got. That's all you got, Rafa Benitez? Is he enjoying himself at this stage in his career as a manager? Now, I I actually kind of like Rafa Benitez. I have nothing against Rafa Benitez. I would never want him as a Chelsea manager from here on out. But I I certainly don't hold him in a negative regard as a manager. Yet, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are, Are you really enjoying yourself as a manager playing that style in the third game of the season at home? That's, it's pathetic. That was not at all. Okay, the game is kind of called the beautiful game. At least it's nicknamed that. You don't have to necessarily be a Pep, a Jurgen Klopp, a Maurizio Sarri. And if you're, but, but if you're not a Jose Mourinho or an Antonio Conte, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, that was, so a, I, yeah, go ahead, Dan.
1: Yeah, so I, I think I'm actually going to come at it from a different perspective because I, Given when you look at the lineup of the team on paper from what Chelsea has to what Newcastle has to the fact that Newcastle did not find any way to take this recently promoted championship side and actually elevate the caliber of talent on the pitch for them. Because they have an owner who clearly is not invested in the same way that you know we as Chelsea fans are very fortunate to have an owner who continues to invest and want to make sure that you know what is on the pitch is something of the highest caliber product. You know we are we're not getting spaghettios; we're getting the nice Italian dinner. So in that mind, I actually don't think Rafa came out with a bad game plan. I actually think that this was the right way to play and frustrate and try to counter is not a bad way to go about a team that wants to have possession. If you can have the defensive rigidity to say we are not going to be moved and we are going to force everything out to the flanks, we're going to minimize the opportunity, and we're going to play a physical team, uh, a physical game against a team that doesn't like to play or go into the tackle as hard as we do, I think this could have, this game could have flipped on a coin and we could have been talking about a 1-0 loss to Newcastle just as easily as we could have been talking about that 1-1 draw or 2-1 victory. I, I think he played and put tactics together to put them in the best position to get a result for his team. And I, I don't know. Like I look at this team, I think they are going to be in the relegation fight the entirety of the season. And if he's thinking about the fact that he needs to be 40 points to stay up, one point to him today would have made a world of difference in that battle.
3: But, but, Dan, but Dan, see, I see it differently because it's the third game of the season. So if you're already conceding you're going to be in a relegation battle – The only chance you have is to build on something no matter who the opponent is and to try and build a style no matter what you think the outcome may be of that game. And what he pretty much did today was he did a 90-minute practice where no practice was put forth, meaning the only chance he had of having any positive result was getting that one point that you speak of. But now that they got no points, they have honestly learned nothing from the game. They already knew – They could face a top side and make it a struggle for the top side, but they've done nothing to build upon their season. They've done nothing to improve their team. So in my opinion, they're that much closer to relegation.
0: So part of me is just saying like, this actually goes back to like, is the Premier League the best league in the world? If that's the level of quality that Newcastle want to put on on display for the world, then I would say probably not. Um, there was an interesting discussion on Facebook. Reed, one of our longtime listeners, love chatting with him, says, It doesn't matter who our manager is or what our system is. We still can't break down a side that plays defensively. It wasn't pretty. It was a tough place for us to play. He will take the three points and run back to London. And then on a different thread but related, Daniel said... Are you guys not impressed with 83% possession over 920-plus passes and the win against a nine-man back line? Newcastle played it an embarrassingly defensive game, and Chelsea still made it happen. So I think there's also some discussions you know, going on about the, the way in which Chelsea played it. And, and I think we all have to realize this is not the last time we're going to see a block eight, a block nine. Occasionally a block ten and Chelsea and sorry are just going to have to evolve and learn how to adapt. I mean, sorry said he'd actually never even seen this in Italy from Benitez. Uh, this is something that was, uh, was very new to him, and uh, he's going to have some time to look at it and break it down. Um, you know, especially as you look ahead to summer and other fixtures. Dan put in the passing map kind of here, and uh, literally everyone is on uh, Newcastle's half. Maybe not David Luiz. Maybe he was on the half line. Uh, But that just kind of shows you the average position of where everybody's was. Uh, And as you can imagine, the big star in the middle of that map is Jorginho, uh, who is passing to literally everyone on the field, um, you know, in that kind of midfield maestro role. So with that being said, um, obviously Chelsea's first 11 didn't get the goal because we had to make changes before it happened. And we needed subs to come on, Dan. Do you think William Drew and or Barkley did a good job of making a positive difference in this game to help Chelsea get all three points? They did. I think you. Know, if you look at what we were struggling with,
1: you know, you you saw a little bit of craziness from, from Pedro today, kind of running around from, from side to side and, and switching with Hazard. You saw, you know, when William came in, he really kind of kept to one side of the pitch to try to kind of offer up some overloading of an attack on one side, which was nice to see. You know, I think Murata actually did not have a great game. I don't think he had a bad game. I actually think in with very strong opponents, you know, did a good job of holding the ball up, not... Going down frequently, uh, it didn't always make the the right run in. But also, the passing lanes were pretty narrow to begin with. So I, I think you know anyone would have struggled. I think what Giroud offered in coming in is again that you know what he did for France. You know he holds up the ball really well. He provides a great aerial threat. And you know when he was on, he definitely absorbed a little bit more of that attention than I think Murata does. I think Murata is more of a uh, a stealth ninja versus an assassin, Uh, you know, just kind of a a commando. You know, Drew's the commando. He draws a little bit more attention. Murata's that assassin, not pulling away people from Hazard the same way. And, you know, then uh, Barkley came in. I think, you know, both Barkley and I think Kovacic were a little... I know, just maybe absent or didn't fly to the top of the radar in terms of attention. And, yeah, I I'm, I mean, I, I think, Nick, ultimately the subs helped because we continued to move the ball. We found our opportunities after they came on. And so, I mean, if you bring subs on and then your team scores, I think you can take credit for the subs having an impact.
2: Yeah, I, it's a team game, right? Like, I, I think that it's, you know, Pedro wasn't necessarily – you know kind of peak pedro today but i think he he played a role in the first you know 60 70 minutes um, William, willian i would have you know thought would have started actually today and um, just due to his counterattack ability and he he really showed out i mean i think the the key there was that he's just a kind of a better set piece taker than what we had on the on the field so that that's always helpful and then you know jeruse a battler man um it, it there's just nothing nothing more to say on that it, you know at some point the reason that you have depth is so that you know you can win a tough game like this and show your opponent something completely different than what they've been seeing and uh you know i think it's marito Sarri's job to keep all of these guys on the same page as to what's happening and why and what's expected of them should they you know be be thrown onto the pitch or on the 60th minute and you know that's You know, the more commitment we get there, I think the better that all becomes. Alex, you know, from a depth in a squad
0: and just kind of the way that people play today, uh, kind of what are your thoughts on the subs versus uh, maybe the starters in in their roles?
3: Yeah, it's interesting because... I definitely thought Pedro warranted the start, as I think many did, because he's definitely been better than Willian. He's really started off the season strong and was strong in preseason as well. However, Nick, you thought Willian may get the start as well. You said due to his counterattacking ability. I'm not going to rail on Willian here, but I honestly thought Willian was going to get the start because there's this underlying agreement that Willian needs to start, and I'm not even saying that to joke um i'm pretty sure william views himself as a starter on any team uh, and i'm not going to get more into that i I just nonetheless i thought it was the correct decision though to have pedro to start but but as good as pedro has been i don't think this game set up well at all for pedro i think pedro is pretty damn good when it's a free-flowing game and this was totally the opposite so once there was finally a need for a change, I thought the most appropriate sub guys out of the three was Giroud from Maratta. I don't think Maratta had a bad game, but I did tweet at halftime. I needed Maratta to do to do more. And I got so many replies saying, oh, but what is he supposed to do when he has no service? I get that argument. I really do. Service is important for strikers. But I'm sorry. That argument is overdone. When you have 81% of the possession, yes, I understand you're marked by a couple of center backs, maybe even a midfielder, but the best strikers, and all three of you know this, you, you know this, the best strikers will find a way. They'll make a run. They'll make a decoy run. They'll show for the ball. They'll do a little bit more to make it a little less congested. And I understand it's tough. That's why I don't think Bronta had a bad game. I'm not saying he had a bad game. He even had some bright moments where he controlled the ball. However, he had 20 touches in 65 minutes. Giroud had 13 touches, I think at least 13 touches, in the remaining amount of time. Giroud in that type of a game setup is much more effective than Alvaro Morata. And I think we all can agree Giroud's chemistry with Eden Hazard is definitely better than Morata's chemistry with Eden Hazard. And if Eden Hazard is going to play a full 90, which I'm not sure we, any of us saw coming, well, then, yes, Giroux is definitely better in that situation. So I thought that was a good sub by Maurizio Sarri. Um, I've liked Ross Barkley so far this season, not as much as maybe we want to like him, because I do agree he's underwhelmed a little bit. Um, but I think he's been better than some people have said. I thought he's been showing great attitude and commitment and effort. I want him to be more aggressive, and I kind of hoped if he was going to be a bench player, he'd come in and really look to be more aggressive. I didn't really see that. And with Willian, um, I thought he was okay. I thought he was okay as a bench player. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't in love with him, but I wasn't totally against him. But my favorite sub out of all of them was definitely Giroud. I think Giroud really profiles well in that type of a game.
0: Yeah, and we saw that he obviously gave a bigger target for maybe some of the higher crosses that Alonso was looking to put in. The, the last point that I kind of want to make on this is it, it, it's an a situation that Murata was in the best situation all game uh, he got it on, I think it was his right foot, but he had it right in front of him, right inside, top of the six, and just his first touch was a bit too heavy, and he couldn't recover, and it was cleared, but that was the moments that we were looking for from those guys, is to, you know, we he doesn't get a lot of chances, like you're saying, Alex, but he got one, and it was a great one, and he just couldn't bring it under control to finish, uh, and those are the fine margins of the Premier League, like I will probably continue to say. As long as we do this podcast, because I, I wholly believe in it. So, but again, it was great to see Giroud, uh, you know, come on and make a difference. Obviously, he had the um, the assist to Alonzo, uh, or maybe the second assist to Alonzo since it was an own goal. But either way, you get what I'm saying. We immediately had a, a presence in the box, and that's what we needed against Newcastle. We weren't going to beat them on the ground on the day. Uh, so the last Brandon did you
1: see did you see that your twin uh, Marcus Alonso on television when he was told that the goal was not his (laughs) no I didn't (laughs) Uh, you know he uh, he definitely felt like it was his and uh, you know it's nice to know that we aren't a team of Harry Kane's who are going to go appeal to the FA and uh, try to get it (laughs) rewarded because ultimately three points is much more important than an individual goal for a player
2: can we quickly talk about how Marcus Alonzo was basically where Dave should have been uh, yep. on, on the other side of the pitch? Um, and I look guys, I I'm sure we're going to answer some questions about this, but what I can tell you about Marcus Alonzo right now is that dude has the clutch gene, whatever it is, he has it. And, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's always going to pay off or if, it's, you know, if this streak will continue. But holy shit, does that dude know his way around the penalty box and, and know how to get the ball into the back of the net in whatever fashion. Um, it is super, super impressive, the instinct. It's great. He has a phenomenal
0: goal-scoring record. And that is nothing that uh, probably any Chelsea fan will disagree with. But, you know, getting back to the defensive side of it, and I I don't want to literally be leading a horse to water, as they say, Alex, but I know you were disappointed with the goal we allowed. Talked a little bit about it earlier, and maybe that's putting it lightly. But if we look at the whole game, David Luiz was able to provide a lot going forward when we needed it, uh, mainly from like a more deep passing threat. So do you think he was valuable in that sense because of how deep Newcastle were? Or do you still think that having someone, maybe like a Christensen, who probably would have stayed home a bit more, would have been a better option today?
3: Listen, I get it. David Luiz, we know, is ultra-aggressive as a defender, pretty much as an attacker. He loves to cross the middle of the pitch and start an attack. However, I would say to you, under Maurizio Sarri's system, as long as you have a willing passer and someone who understands the system, yes, they may not be David Louise attacking in terms of they pretty much want to go as far as to the 18 and pop it if they can. But as long as you have a center back that understands their role, their duty, they will be pretty aggressive in terms of passing it around. In my opinion, Antonio Rudiger was phenomenal today. He was phenomenal. And for everybody that tells me David Louise is this great long-range passer, and he is the best passer, center passing center back on Chelsea. Um, I don't know about that. I think Rudiger is pretty damn good. And I think Christensen is a different type of passer. As I said in my video yesterday, he's not a daring type passer like David Luiz. But he's a very accurate passer, short, vertically, and horizontally. Which, yes, I understand the appeal of David Luiz being able to kick it long. But it's overrated to me. It's overrated to me. And as many people pointed out on Twitter today, David Luiz will get that ball as a left center back, and he will step very far forward past the halfway line. Guys, it takes him a long damn time to actually pass it. However, he stands there, stands there, dribbles, dribbles, and then finally passes it to Jorginho. Now, I'm not saying he does anything wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong, but are we really saying he's this world-class offensive attacking center back when honestly many people could do that role? I think that's overstating it. And by the way, I need to say right now, I love David Luiz. I love David Luiz as a person. I think David Luiz is, I'm going to sound corny here, the B's knees. I want to spend a weekend with David Luiz. He seems like one of the most fun people possible. I think he's a damn good leader. I When, Dan, you I think you pulled me in the beginning of the show about keep or sell David Luiz. I'm keeping David Luiz. I want David Luiz around Chelsea. I just don't want him as a starting center back. And Brandon, you talked about it at the beginning of this question you posed to me. Defensively, David Luiz, not a defender, not a true center back in a two center back system. People will say, well, he had a great year as the middle center back in that three center back system, yes, it was in that three center back system. He pretty much served as what he dreamt of serving, a sweeper, a CDM, a guy that can go forward. The goal today, guys, was inexcusable. You can tell me other people were at fault, but you are taught in elementary school when you play this sport that when the ball is coming towards you as an offensive player or a defensive player and the ball is lacking or you see someone else attacking it, you step up for it. And David Luiz was flat-footed, flat-footed. You were flat-footed in no sports. No sports are you flat-footed. Even as a damn baseball player, are you not flat-footed. David Luiz was flat-footed, inexcusable. He could have cost Chelsea three points.
0: Dan, we had a ton of follow-ups on social media from this. Like, Tie this back to what Alex said and what you're thinking.
1: Yeah, It. Was not great, you know from a from a defensive standpoint. You know today in the moments, and I'm gonna say moments because it wasn't often where Newcastle were actually able to move the ball, fo- you know, close enough to even kind of concern us from a from a goal scoring standpoint. Uh, you know, I think I think we've talked about the past two weeks this idea that we're waiting for. Sorry to see if the defense can settle, if, you know, this, you know, not, not to just kind of continue to plug and play, plug and play. We've seen what happens when there's been too much rotation in a defense, particularly a four man defense and what that can lead to in terms of communication gaps in terms of losing man, your man. To allowing people to come in and score goals, there's a lot that can go wrong. But I think we're seeing the adverse effect of that right now. Is that you know you also can't allow a situation to go on so long before making a transition. You know, I think he is not going to be happy, Mauricio Sari, as a manager, with the way our defense is conceding goals from app. You know, just basically brain farts. This is not a situation where. They were the better side. They deserved a goal. They played themselves into a goal. This was a situation where, and and Alex summed it up perfectly, where Newcastle lucked themselves into a goal and took advantage of the fact that our players, Davi Louise in this situation, and then also some of the other players paused. Louise just happened to be the one who was in the frame and closest to it, where our players just paused and imagine like the TiVo, they were going to get up and walk around and go grab some snacks while they waited for the official to come over and determine if it was going to be a card. And then Newcastle scored. And it could very well have been a draw. You know, I think there were a lot of comments you uh, even asking, you know, should we upgrade the fullback positions? Should we, you know, get... Christensen in there. Should we go and get another center back to play alongside Rudiger, who again, had a great game, had that amazing shot right off the crossbar. If that had gone in, (laughs) that could have been a a very early contender for goal of the season, Nick. But I I think it's looking closer and closer after each game to the point where Christensen deserves to see some minutes to try to see if that's going to allow this system
2: to flourish a little bit more. So I guess my, my only counter to this, and, and it may not be the best counter, but my only counter to all the discussion around David Luiz is as, as long as he is not the sole responsible character a la the, the standing still goal, can we just give it a minute? <laughs> uh, and And I only say that because clearly whatever he's doing in training is is earning him the right to start on Saturday or Sunday, right? Like, I don't think that Maurizio Sarri in his first season at Chelsea is just walking around handing starting positions to people based on previous reputation. I don't think that's that's possible. Because if so, you know, you would see other people like Fabregas starting, you know, if he wasn't hurt. So, like, I, I, I just we all like david louise we we have had the pleasure of interviewing him and we're, i'm not saying this because of that but i'm saying it um because that you know we i think sorry he's been in the position now for a little over a month and a half two months like he's he's working his way through it i i want to see you know the level that christensen would have to reach to surpass him and that's only going to happen in training and we're not going to know that moment until it comes But I think what should scare you is that David Luiz continues to start over him. And to me, that has to be just training ground merit.
3: I I don't know another Mm. way around it. Like, I don't. See, see, Nick, if I can cut in for a second, I I disagree. Uh, I I honestly, and this is not me getting unsorry, but Nick, how many of the players in the starting lineup right now were players that didn't go to the World Cup? A heavy, heavy amount of them. And I'm not saying that da- David Luiz is only starting because he was not at the World Cup and he was there in preseason. As I said in a video a, a day or two ago, there are other reasons. David Luiz has good leadership qualities. He is an experienced center back. He has good passing ability. He has good tackling ability. There's not one – no one's going to say that game to game he can't have a good defensive performance. But he is the king of brain farts. And I honestly think one of the main reasons he is starting is he was there right away. Gary Cahill wasn't even there right away, a veteran. Okay. And right away, Mauricio Sari, in his transition to the Premier League, thought, okay, defensively, even Rudiger's not back, even though Rudiger was back pretty soon because Germany was out immediately. He thought to himself, David Luiz – Lives in Breeze, Chelsea Football Club. He is a center back that kind of fits to my style. I'm going to start him, and I think it was a main thing. Alonzo did not go to the World Cup. Now Alonzo has warranted it. I get, I I give you that. But so many of the players, Marata, Pedro, all of Barkley, all of these players were given first crack who did not go to the World Cup. You cannot tell me that any other year that maybe there would have been more of a competition because there absolutely would have been. I love David Luiz. But I honestly do not think him being starting center back is based on true training merit. I think it's more based on opportunity and then maybe experience.
2: Uh, I mean, so, so pick, whatever. What pick? Pick one, okay? Because I think at the end of the day, you know, if we, if he comes out next week with a whole new back line, let's say Christensen's back there, okay, fair enough. Um, I, I don't believe for a second. That you know, Rüdiger being at the World Cup and then Rüdiger starting, you know, even though Germany had a very short World Cup, uh, it, it, I mean, you could you could go the other way with that too, right? Because my my sense is, and I think the rumors that have been bubbling up for a long time, is that Christensen had a bit of rough, you know, a rough patch at the end of the year, didn't play super well at the World Cup. I mean, I think he did all right, but not you know, not superb by any means, and you know. The, the head thing kind of messed with them, you know, the, the concussion deal. So, I, I mean, I don't know, man. I I want the best back line that we can have. I'm going to put that out there. And whatever Maurizio Sari determines, unless there's something – unless he put me out there as a starting center back, you know, like I, I think we can all agree that we have some options here, okay? Well, I think the one thing that I would say – is if
1: you look at the fact that we have four fixtures coming up and three of those lead us into a match against Liverpool at the end of September. So we have Bournemouth, we have Cardiff, we have West Ham, and then we have Liverpool. If Sarri is going to make a change, it is probably going to be in the next one to two matches so that whomever it is has an opportunity to gel or has an opportunity to get a run out and be very comfortable in their position before we get to a very very difficult game at Stanford Bridge on the 29th of September. I don't, you know, I think that is the thing that I look for the most whether it's David Luiz, whether it's Andreas Christensen, our wonderful Danish prince. Like we need this settled before the end of September so that we are not walking into that Liverpool game wondering if a defender is going to have one of those lapses or that, you know, misjudgments that are going to cause a goal to be conceded and put us on the back foot when we should be going toe-to-toe with them.
0: Okay. Um, I'm still here. Just want to let that play out. Hi, Brandon. I think it'll be interesting to see what a lot of people on social media have to say. From a backline partnership standpoint, i it's its wide open. I personally still think David Louise is the best option over Christensen, but that doesn't mean that we don't have quality to look at and run out and see. So um, Bournemouth next, then an international break, a lot of no, time. Bournemouth, Cardiff, then an international break, right? So either way, I'm yeah, you're right. The point is we have, no, 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 Bournemouth, September 1st, Cardiff, September oh, you're right. 15th. Either way, you essentially have two games in the next three weeks. As Dan kind of pointed out, if sorry wants to tweak, this is the time. Uh, But we are massively running out of time on this one, so let's keep it moving to additional thoughts or comments. I'm actually going to hijack this right away. I feel left out. I haven't talked in a while. (laughs) (laughs) How about the set piece situation without Willian? Um, Eden Hazard is magical things. Set pieces is not one of them. William comes on, takes a free kick. It's an assist. I just that is something that without William on the field, it seems like we don't have a great free kick taker at at the moment right now.
2: Any any response from anyone that wants to put it in there. I would agree with that. It's it's certainly uh, when when you look at the starting lineup and you don't have, you know, potentially a Fabregas in there, or you don't have a William in there and it's not a free kick on the right hand side within shooting distance. Um, you can see a very kind of big gap on the field um, where Chelsea is kind of lacking a set piece master. I mean, uh, a couple of the corners from Edden today were, were pitiful. Um, and that's not to say he wasn't running his ass off doing all of the other things because he was, uh, but we certainly need to address that. And, you know, Pedro hasn't ever really shown the ability to, to kind of be our, our leader in that regard. You know, maybe Alonzo starts to take up more of the responsibility there. Uh, Dan, I, I'm not sure, but we need something to be different
1: yeah i i don't know if there's a true specialist on the team i think jorginho is probably the one that you might look to see about offering up some of that responsibility to you know he's he's been kind of the individual that sorry kind of respond, you know wants to execute his system on the pitch i but yeah i, I mean unless you you know a goal of Conte can do it all though so i
0: would like to see him try Dan, you have a stat in here about Jorginho and as Nick pointed out, all Chelsea fans love a good stat. Well, you know, he did attempt
1: 173 passes, 158 completed, 91.3% accuracy. Uh, Newcastle completed 131 out of their 200 passes. And what I would say is this was one pass short of tying the Premier League record. So uh, I imagine at some point this season against a equally similar frustration or frustrating opponent, we will see
0: Jorginho break that record, which will be exciting. Craziness. Um, all right. Well, that will lead you right into your man of the match poll from today. Quite a few responses and an over eight hundred votes put into this, so it seems pretty legit.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think we you know came down. Two. Hazard and Alonso splitting the majority of it Hazard won with 45% Alonso with 42 just eked it out the Belgian over the Spaniard Conte with 4% which you never usually see him lose anything so that's just a shocker there and Yedlin 9%
0: good job to the American in the poll <laughs> come on I mean, was... he scored
1: our winner he scored our winner
0: horrible. Alex, horrible. so my question for you on this is, do you think that this is a performance poll or a popularity poll? Because to me, while Nazar did a lot, like, Alonzo got it done. He did the business.
3: Yeah. Um. Honestly, Brandon, I totally like the question if it's performance versus popularity, because I think a lot of the time it is more popularity. However, this game, I'm going to say that the rightful winner gets it. And that's with me saying and tweeting earlier that Eden Hazard by his own standard, by his own standard was average. He wasn't average for every other player, but I thought he was just okay for edit. And I think that's mainly because he tired as the game went on. He got a little sloppy as the game went on. As you guys said, his set pieces weren't great. However, He was the most impactful player, maybe besides Jorginho in terms of all the possession. Eden was consistently trying to create something. Alonso, who I have definitely been a hard critic on, I once again will admit he was a crucial, crucial part to Chelsea's win today. However, Brandon, I still think it's justified and I don't necessarily know it is popularity versus performance because the, the penalty was not really a penalty. I applauded Alonzo because he was going for it, and I think you miss 100% of the shots you don't take to take Wayne Gretzky's quote. So the fact that Alonzo even forced the issue, good on him. He, he, he helped Chelsea get a goal there by being in that situation. But when you look at it, Alonzo kind of forced a penalty that wasn't a penalty and then scored a goal that wasn't his own goal. Now, I actually publicly gave him credit for both. However, I think Eden Azard is more than deserving of this Man of the Match. I just think it was an ugly game, and the fact is, there was going to be an ugly Man of the Match award, and who better to go to than Eden Azard?
2: Fair enough. At R- least they both. Rudiger should have made it in over Yedlin. Can we all say that? Agree. I mean, it's Agreed. Ridiculous, Dan. Agree.
1: Uh, you know, sometimes you have to go for the comedy option.
0: <laughs> all right. Well. As the weekend wraps up, uh, it's not the end of the game week because the Premier League loves money, so there's yet one more match to be played on Monday, and it's a big one if you don't care. It's Man United versus Tottenham, and Tottenham could jump into the top four if they win, so that's the only reason I bring it up in case this changes. As it stands, Liverpool on nine points tied with Chelsea and Watford uh Watford even tied on goal difference with Chelsea so thankfully alphabetical order lends it our way uh Man City dropping points at the weekend to Wolves more shocking refereeing for them and then at the bottom we have Burnley in 18th Huddersfield Town in 19th and West Ham down in 20th
2: they are brutal
0: exactly as we called it brandon exactly as we called it except for nick's bournemouth pick uh
2: yeah yeah that's looking real good right now
0: <laughs> well i love the uh the message from jack 1.6 on instagram saying chelsea are title contenders with cities are uh, chelsea title contenders with cities 100 percent record gone who knows jack it's still august yes. we'll talk to you in six months Yes, Uh, we are. Oh, man. All right, well, that's a wrap. That is the end of this match review. Thank you so much, Alex, for joining us on the podcast. I tell people where to follow you if they don't, but let's be honest, that's not a problem. You are crushing it on Twitter. But in case, you can give them your handle.
3: All right, my handle is, and my voice will not crack this time, my handle is at Goldberg underscore and you're daring if you follow me but thank you
0: we'll retweet as always as we like to interact with Alex Uh, feel free to follow the rest of us as well but if you need to find the podcast it's at London Blue Pod everywhere on social media but that is going to wrap it up for this week Chelsea fans we will be doing a part two doing the social media questions in the Bournemouth preview it'll be out later this week so make sure to listen to that but until next time Chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high